Well, let's read Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped round my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, what a thought. I hope you're not right in the middle of breakfast as you watch uh, this. Uh, there you go. Fish vomit uh, is, is how we're finishing our reading this morning. Well, I wonder if you've ever restored something. Uh, maybe you've fixed up an old car. Uh, I wouldn't know where to start with that, but anyway. Um, or maybe you've uh, repaired an antique chair or even an old building. If we visit my parents, we sometimes watch a TV show called The Repair Shop. Uh, expert craftsmen pool their resources and talents to restore heirlooms and antiques and treasured uh, family um, possessions, music boxes, vases, clocks, uh, all sorts of things, really. Anything that can be restored to its former glory. Uh, and of course, it's all filmed in this uh, well, it looks like a looks like a farm shed, but it's a it's a kind of rustic, but beautifully lit uh, workshop uh, where you can almost smell the the timber and the solvents and the leather. Um, well, if it's not too much of a stretch, the gospel is God's restoration project. Sinful human beings, dead in sin, hostile to Him, restored to true humanity, made alive in relationship with Him. Uh, put at peace with him, with their sin condemned in Christ at the cross, perfect righteousness given to us, uh, our natures transformed, our mindsets renewed. Uh, it's a miracle of restoration. And it cost a fortune, his own human, divine, sinless son, to, to suffer the, the necessary justice that our sin deserved. Uh, and to make sure that this restoration is completed, um, God, God moves in. His, his Spirit makes His home in us for our whole lives until we are finally at home in Him. Um, so it's a restoration project. Uh, and it's absolutely certain. God will finish the work He has begun in us, Philippians 1 verse 6. Uh, it's also lifelong. So it's certain, but it's lifelong. We're rescued from the moment we trust in Jesus. Uh, but God's work to make us like Jesus is just beginning. 
and lasts a lifetime. I think that's clear with Jonah, isn't it? Rescued from disaster, but now in need of a lot of loving restoration work. Let's get into it. We'll maybe see what I mean. Um, We'll get into it with the first lesson. God brings us low, so we turn to him. God brings us low, so we turn to him. The best place to start uh, this week is uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. Then the sailors took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the cliffhanger of chapter 1. Maybe we should have finished here last time. Uh, Jonah hurled into the stormy sea, swallowed by the waves, disappearing from the sight of the ship, uh, missing presumed dead. One of my favorite things to do up on the north coast is to jump off some rocks in a particular place uh, into the sea uh, in in a spot where there's a a really, really deep channel of sheltered water. Um, It's a sort of channel. If there was no water in it, I think you could probably get a a double-decker bus through there. It's it's very, very deep but quite narrow. Uh, Climbing up onto the rocks is a bit of a struggle, especially at my weight. Uh, And I don't really love the sensation of falling through the air, but I love... Uh, that moment of hitting the water and going deep down underneath, uh, just surrounded by all sorts of bubbles. Um, I guess it was a bit different for Jonah when the sailors finally gave in and threw him overboard. Uh, For Jonah, this was the end. God had caught up with him. He fell through the air knowing that he would soon hit the water and go under. He hit the water knowing there was nowhere to climb back out. Um, And the sea was anything but sheltered. In minutes, he would drown and be dead. Uh, I don't know about you, but if there's ever an underwater scene in a movie or a TV show, uh, you know, like some car has just gone over the edge into a lake, line of duty, uh, and it's filling with water and sinking, and the door is jammed, uh, like I find that even without noticing, I've started to hold my breath. I'm sitting on the sofa, I'm holding my breath, and the character gets free and is still searching for the friend who's also in the car or what have you. I'm already kind of puffing on the sofa trying to catch my breath. And I'm sitting there dry. I haven't had the cold water shock, the adrenaline. Uh, I haven't struggled to the surface. But I'm kind of puffing with the drama of it all. Jonah hits the water and immediately wave after wave is crashing over his head. He can't get a breath. He's cold. His heart's pounding. He's terrified. It's dark. And he's so tossed about that he probably doesn't even know which way is up, even if he could swim against the the water. He has moments from death. I'm sure he cried to God for help in that moment. Just a few words, even just in his mind, uh, thrown up to heaven like a, a hand kind of desperately raised, searching for help. But what we have in chapter 2 is a much more composed prayer. It's kind of a psalm. In fact, it's a poem that that actually quotes several psalms and other scriptures. Jonah's pulling bits from around the Bible. Um, And Jonah can pray like this. He's got the time to sort of sit and and pray like this because God sends help. Verse 17, uh, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Uh, now, people complain, of course, that this is not believable, or that this means the whole book is just a parable. It's just a story, a uh, kind of imaginative story designed just to make a point, but it's not real. Uh, but there are certainly whales that could swallow someone whole, and the Hebrew for fish here does not exclude whales, um, which is a relief 
because of all the books that are published with like Jonah and the whale. Um, it could be a whale. Um, there are stories of people being swallowed by whales and then regurgitated later, although most of those stories are a little bit fishy. But if God is God, uh, who sends his breath on the ocean to whip up a storm, who uh, sends his breath, the spirit in, in Genesis 1, hovering over the waters, poised to create the whole universe from nothing, who raises Jesus from the dead, uh, well, why assume, why assume that this is just a fisherman's tale? There are bigger miracles in the Bible. There are bigger fish than this, so to speak. Um, the fact that this is unlikely or even impossible or miraculous, that's the point, isn't it? Because God did this. Besides, Jesus himself referred to Jonah as a real historical figure who was swallowed by a great sea creature. So I, for one, am not going to contradict Jesus. I'm happy to go with this. Uh, Jonah is saved from imminent death. Uh, he's no longer in danger of being drowned, only digested. But he clearly sees this as the first step in a now certain rescue. Verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Probably not what you or I would pray in the cold, pitch-black stench of a fish's stomach, but Jonah is relieved. He's alive. And he doesn't say, from the depths of the sea, I called for help, but from the depths of the grave. And that word is, is sheol. It's the place of the dead. It's where uh, the souls of the wicked go uh, after, after they've died to, to wait for God's final judgment. That's, that's the, the, the image here. Jonah is just delighted to be alive, uh, spared a death that would terrify any of us, really, but would scare an Israelite more than most. They're not seafaring people, or they were not seafaring people. Uh, they feared the sea and the monsters of the deep. Uh, the, the sea in the Bible is a place of chaos and cold and death and judgment. Um, that being the case, Jonah is describing himself living uh, an Israelite's worst nightmare. Verse 3, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Uh, Jonah can see that although it was the sailors who picked him up and threw him overboard, it was really God behind it all. God's storm, God's control over the casting of lots uh, so that they knew it was about Jonah. God intensifying the storm so they couldn't uh, get to land. They had no choice but to jettison Jonah, throwing him into the waves and breakers that belong, chapter 1, verse 9, to the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. God is sovereign. He is in control. That's a big theme of this book. Verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah was banished, uh, driven away from God, driven down to the depths. And that's exactly what Jonah wanted in a way, isn't it? So chapter 1, verse 3, he tried to run from the Lord to get away from God. And so God here is showing Jonah the awful reality of what he thinks he wants. God confronts Jonah with the destination that lies at the far end of the direction that he has chosen, um, the direction of, uh, of, of all who run from God and refuse to be with him. That destination is hell. 
a place um, where, we, where we are cut off from God's uh, common grace and his, his love and his generosity, and the only uh, part of God that we experience is his wrath. That's the destination. That's the end of the line. Um, but Jonah is hopeful here because his rescue has already begun. Uh, verse 5, he recaps again. Um, well, we should say one more thing about verse 4, I guess. Um, I will look again towards your holy temple. He, he's got this chance to pray. Uh, Israelites would have prayed in the direction of the temple. He's, he, in his mind, he's, he's turned back to God. He's not looking uh, in that same direction of running, which leads to that destination of hell. His mind is now turned to look at the Lord. Anyway, Jonah is hopeful. His rescue has begun. Verse 5, he recaps. Uh, remember that in, in chapter 1, verse 2, his commission, although it's a little bit lost in the NIV, was to get up and go to Nineveh. Perhaps if you've got a different uh, translation, it might be, arise and go, uh, get up and go to Nineveh. But he went down to Joppa and down onto a ship, although the NIV just says he went aboard, but literally he went down onto it, and then he went down below deck to sleep. And now verse 5, watch Jonah sink even further down. The waters engulfed, uh, the engulfing waters threatened me, literally they were at my throat. The deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head, so he's, he's down underwater now. Here's a great phrase. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. You know, well, we were at um, Blessington Lakes yesterday, and you know when you see a steep mountain uh, meet a lake or meet the sea, and we can just imagine how it goes on underneath. Well, how far down does this, this mountain go? How, where, where are the roots of the mountains? Where's the bottom? Uh, well, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. This is that Sheol imagery, underworld imagery, sinking to the realm of the dead where there are barred gates closing over him. So Jonah's prayer is all about God bringing him down, down, down to death, showing Jonah what lies at the, the, at the end of the line in the direction that he's chosen, running away from relationship with God. Uh, even the, the three days and three nights image or phrase is associated with death. Um, obviously, there's, there's, there's Jesus, although he didn't die until later, but dead and buried, raised on the third day. But it's other places in the Bible as well. It's the, it's the Bible's uh, phrase for six feet under. Maybe not literally six feet under, but what we mean by that is dead, dead. Um, so Jonah is, is dead symbolically at least, uh, Jonah brings, uh, God brings Jonah to the point of death. But this uh, is what God, in his great kindness, does to us. He brings us low so that we turn to him. Uh, and that is because success and comfort do not often lead people to God. Um, of all the people you've ever heard describing how they came to put their faith in Jesus... How many were driven to him by a time of great joy and success in their lives? I can't think of anyone. Success and comfort do not often lead people to God, but suffering and crisis do. A glimpse of the destination of the direction that we've chosen, uh, away from God, a taste of life without his protection, uh, without his kindness, without his generosity, that in God's grace often does draw and drive people to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that is your destination. 
that's the end of the line for you in the direction that you're going. And I have to warn you about that. I hate talking about it, but Jesus talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible uh, on his way to die to stop you from going there. Verse 4 here, uh, Jesus himself was banished from God's sight on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken. He was banished for us. Now, you don't have to wait for God to do it, but if God brings you low, turn to Him. Take it as a loving warning and turn to Him. God brings us low, so we turn to Him. And as Jonah proves, this is something God does even to His people, already saved, uh, already His, but who need discipline and correction. Even as Christians, many of us feel like we're in verse 4 at times, you know, where God seems to be a million miles away, where our prayers just bounce back off the ceiling, where every thought about God is accompanied by a doubt about God. Uh, But we wonder uh, if we've been cut off for Him for, for good, but we are not out of His sight or His reach or His love. We need to uh, see our low points as spiritual opportunities in God's restoration project. God brings us low so that we turn to Him. Then, secondly, God lifts us up because of His grace. God lifts us up because of His grace. So Jonah ran down to Joppa, went down onto the boat, and down below deck. Then God drove him down into the water, down under the surface, and down towards the depths. God brought Jonah low so Jonah would turn to him. Uh, And so as Jonah recalls, verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help. And you listened to my cry. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was, was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. There used to be a a phenomenon at uh, Cambridge University, probably other universities as well, uh, and I highly suspect it's dying out these days, if not long dead already, but picture the scene mid-May each year as final exams loom. Uh, You head off to church on Sunday, uh, and it's the Sunday before thousands and thousands of students will sit grueling papers in hot, stuffy exam halls while the shoes of the invigilators click, click, click through the grid of single desks. It's the Sunday before exams. You arrive at church at usual, and you cannot get a seat. Just it's absolutely jam-packed. The building is bursting with young faces you've never seen before. All of them due to face exams in those coming days. I don't think it happens anymore, but I think some students used to call it Insurance Sunday, as nervous undergraduates treated God like an insurance policy, uh, making a last-minute plea for backup. 
Uh, well, what do you think God would say to them? What do you think God should say to Jonah now that he finally cries out to God for help? This is the first time Jonah even speaks to God in this book. Uh, chapter one, he just ran off. <laughs> even as the ship threatened to break apart in the storm, did, did he pray? The captain begged him to pray, but did he even pray? We don't, it doesn't look like it, but now at last he does. And in his immense kindness and grace, God does not say to Jonah, as we maybe think he should to all those students on Insurance Sunday, he does not say, no way. <laughs> on your bike, mate, uh, you had no time for me when it was all going well, so I've got no time for you now. But God doesn't say that. God says, I've been waiting for this moment your whole life. Jonah. Come and I will show you what kind of God you've been running away from. And God lifts him up, up from the pit, which is the same idea as Sheol, the grave, the place of the dead, the underworld, up from the brink of death, back towards his wonderful presence. That's what the temple is about in this prayer, the presence of God and relationship with God. This is uh, the moment that can be yours if you've never come to God through His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You might have spent a lifetime on the run from Him. You might feel like a fraud for changing your mind now. You might feel like a childish student sitting in church on Insurance Sunday because you've got exams coming up. You think, well, I, 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 there's no way God will even hear me out. He'll tell me to get lost. Get on my bike. Get out of here. But this is an infinitely kind and gracious God, full of grace. <laughs> this is a God who says, I've been waiting for this moment, for your whole life. Come and get to know and begin to enjoy the wonderful God from whom you've been running. God lifts us up because of his grace. This moment can also be yours if you're already a follower of Jesus, but you know you're resisting him in some way. You may not be running, but you're, you're holding back. And in his grace, God sometimes brings us low, even as we walk with him. As Hebrews says, God disciplines those he loves. It's not pleasant at the time, but produces a harvest of righteousness. Not that every low point is discipline, of course. Uh, not that every low point in our lives is somehow our fault or some indication that we need serious correction, but, but sometimes. I don't mention it so that the anxious among us will worry all the more, uh, but so that you who know you are running or resisting will know immediately what you need to do and what reaction you'll get from God when you do it. God lifts us up because of his grace. Stop running and resisting. This is a pattern of our lives. It's the restoration project as God strips us back at peeling away layers of rebellion and sin that we didn't even know were there, but they go deep <laughs> so that he can rebuild and restore. Uh, it'll be painful at times, but God works gently and carefully and graciously, a master at work, uh, always with the greatest passion and care for his project. 
And on that note, uh, just one final lesson then from Jonah chapter 2. One last lesson. Uh, God's work in us lasts a lifetime. Uh, God's work in us lasts a lifetime. God is stripping us back, bringing us low so that he can build us up and lift us up in his grace. He's remaking us to be like Jesus. That's why we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit these days. Uh, It's a restoration project. And I think we get a hint of it here in Jonah chapter 2. I find Jonah to be a tricky character, don't you? Um, It's a funny little book as well. There are lots of places it could end, and, and it would be a little, we'd take it differently. We'd understand the book differently. You know, if it ended with the sailors throwing uh, Jonah to his death, chapter 1, verse 16, that was the end, we would say, well, you don't mess with God. But the book goes on. And if it ended with the fish spitting Jonah onto the beach, we would say, wow, Jonah messed up. But God saved him and changed his heart. If it ended with chapter 3, we would say, wow, Jonah messed up, but God saved him, changed his heart, and used him to save many people. But the odd thing is the book ends with chapter 4, which, as we'll we'll see, uh, leaves Jonah in the mother of all sulks. You've never seen a foot-stomping, lip-pouting, kind of, the mother of all sulks, absolutely furious with God, like a little toddler, uh, furious that God would spare the evil Assyrians of Nineveh instead of raining down judgment on them. God clearly has lots of restoration work to do in Jonah, work that will last a lifetime. And I think there's a hint of that even today in Jonah's prayer. What do you think of Jonah's prayer? Well, we read it at the start. We've read bits of it again through the, the sermon so far. What, what do you think of it? Don't you think there's something missing? Jonah doesn't say sorry. Jonah doesn't admit that running from God was stupid and proud and pig-headed. He doesn't admit that he ran. He doesn't talk about that at all. He doesn't explain why he ran. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't repent. He doesn't even pray for the sailors back in the boat. He doesn't know that the storm has been calmed and that they're safe. And it's a very self-centered prayer as well. 22 times he uses the words I, me, or my. Not to mention the incredible irony of verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah's probably thinking of his fellow Israelites, members of that that northern kingdom, uh, the the northern part of the split-up kingdom of of Israel. Uh, They turned away from God and threw themselves into worshiping other gods, useless, fake gods, worthless idols. Jonah sees or is beginning to see that his own behavior, uh, running from God, is an echo of Israel's behavior as a nation turning from God, running from God. But, oh, if Israel would just turn back to God as Jonah has done, well, then they would find that God is gracious and forgiving and generous and good and kind. Israel is losing out on God's grace by failing to turn uh, to him. Jonah has learned that. But it's so ironic that Jonah would say the words of verse 8, knowing that they're true for him, knowing that they're true for Israel, Uh, but without seeing how they're also true for Nineveh. Jonah has had a chance to turn to God. Jonah wants Israel to have the chance to turn to God, but he still doesn't think that the Ninevites should have a chance to turn to God. They're different. 
Jonah wanted God to smash them without warning. But Jonah was super relieved not to get smashed without warning from God uh, himself. Jonah gets a second chance from God. But he still hates the idea that the Ninevites would also get a second chance from God. See how much restoration work God still has to do in this angry, angry man? God's work in us lasts a lifetime. This prayer is not all it should be, but at least Jonah prayed. At least he prayed. Sometimes that step of intimacy is, uh, is exactly what's needed. Just coming to God, even if our prayers are a bit wonky or a bit selfish or just like wildly unaware of our own sinfulness, we need to pray. Otherwise, we forfeit the grace that could be ours. And verse 9, this is the start of something in Jonah. I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I don't know what promise or vow Jonah made to God. I don't know if the fact that the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land gives us a little bit of a hint of what God thinks of all Jonah's grand promises. (laughs) Maybe. Let's not pray any prayers in our low times when we promise God this or that as if we could bargain with him or bribe him or as if we could help him to lift us out of the pit. Oh God, if you'll help me, then I'll do this or that for you. Oh God, if, if you help me through these exams, you know, I'll, I'll be here again next Sunday. Let's not do that. Let's not pray like that. Instead, why don't we focus on praying and then doing two things that Jonah mentions here, which are much more appropriate, much more healthy. Uh, first, let's remember the Lord, verse 7. Remember what he has done for you. Remember the work he has committed to finish in you. Remember his answers to your prayers. And especially remember the saving work of Jesus who died in our place and rose for our sake. Hopefully in the coming weeks we can reopen our building and uh, you know, then begin to remember the Lord as he commanded uh, with bread and wine to remind us of his body and blood. To remind us that we don't help God. But salvation comes from the Lord. Remember the Lord. And then second thing, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 9. When we say thank you to God, we're saying uh, that we're not the center of the universe, that we're not in control, that we're not masters of our own destiny. God is all those things, and he is good, and he has done good things and given good gifts to us. He is at the center. He is in control. He is good. He is generous. He is God. Say thank you to God. As we finish then, remember and give thanks for Jesus. He was hurled into the deep. He was banished from God's sight. He was engulfed. He sank down. He went to the bottom of the pit of death willingly, purposefully to save us. Remember and give thanks that God brings us low to break our pride and rebellion. Remember and give thanks that God lifts us up, that when we finally turn in desperation to him, we don't find a God who says, on your bike, get out of here, but one who says, at last, come. 
Remember and give thanks that we have a God who will finish the work he has begun in us with all care and attention to every detail. Let's pray that we would be open to all that he would do in us uh, to save us and remake us in the likeness of Jesus. Let's pray now. Father, help us to see ourselves in the inconsistent, proud, stupid, pathetic actions of Jonah who ran from you. We are all Jonah's. And yet you sent Jesus to be cast overboard, to be pulled under, to be banished from your sight for our sake. We're sorry for our sin. Thank you for bringing us low. Thank you that when we cry to you, we find you to be gentle and gracious and kind. Thank you that you lift us up. Thank you that you have lifted us and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realm, safe and secure. Thank you that you've begun a good work in us and will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Help us to remember him, to give thanks for him, and to continue to work out our salvation, even as you work in us, to make us like him. And we pray, Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.